I try to impress myself. And if people happen to enjoy that and follow that, that's awesome. But uh, I'm not doing it for the double taps. I'm doing it because I'm, I'm wanting to constantly impress myself and show myself I can do something else and prove to myself that in the face of pain or the face of the chaos that is this world, I can still choose to be wonderful. Welcome, you're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and truths from people who are doing something better than we are. Whether it's wellness or fitness and fat loss to just living better and with more energy or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts, and we're learning more every day. Live better, start now. Hi everyone, you're on air with Ellen. Today I'm joined by Mary Shenuda, the paleo chef. Mary is a lot of things, most notably, besides being the creator of The Paleo Chef, which you can find at paleochef.com. She's also a personal coach to high-performing athletes, celebrities, New York Times bestselling authors, you know, the huge. <laughs> Hi, Mary. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for the invite on the show. I'm super glad to have you, Mary. As I've been telling you, I've been I've been reading your stuff for a long time. So there's some people I'm lucky enough to come across because of the show. You are someone whose work I have followed um, long before On Air with Ella was ever launched. And uh, how can I say this? I love what you do. Thank you. So do I. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us, uh, Mary, I can't stand reading a bio. I mean, I'll do it sometimes because it's useful and necessary. But in this case, could you tell folks what you do? I, I guess I view myself as, as a true and through entrepreneur. I do many things. I'm known as Mary the Paleo Chef. I have my catch-all phrase, eat, play, crush. So I'm a private chef, but also a hybrid uh, muse coach, spiritual advisor, what have you, but I do, I view them both as, as from a holistic point of view. So if I'm going to be cooking for a client, we're going to also be coaching. And if I'm going to be coaching you, I'm not going to coach you until I can adjust your diet to your body. So I do a lot of different things all within the health and wellness and mindset sphere. Well, I, always like to brainstorm and prep before I do a show. Believe it or not, guys, um, there is prep that goes into this. <laughs> and I was just sort of brainstorming, Mary, and I was like jotting words down and things that I wanted to share with share with the listeners about you. And I wrote down these three things. I wrote down authentic, yummy, badass. <laughs> <laughs> allow me, allow me to explain. Okay. So authentic. Mary's just a cool chick as I think you'll find. And if you, if you watch her stuff on Instagram where she's pretty active or on Twitter, or any of those places, there's a lot more to her than food as I think you'll find. Her food, however, happens to be absolutely yummy. I don't know any other word to describe your photographs and the recipes you put out there. Yummy, yummy, yummy. And then Mary, you're just a badass. Deliberate, I guess. <laughs> One of the things that's badass about you is that you can deliver a message. And your primary message that we always think of you for is eat, play, crush. Can we walk through that a little bit for our listeners? Eat, play, crush. What does it mean? Yeah. So the longer the longer version of it is eat clean, play often, and crush life. Or, or you can view it as having a crush on your life. And again, it's that concept of none of these things are... are individual you can't eat great and then not be active not actually have the true element of play in your life and then be able to crush life and you can't crush life unless you're eating right so it's it's really about the idea of not to be morbid that we're all going to die one day 
And as long as I am a tenant of this earth, I want to live it to this fullest. And I want to treat myself like I love myself in all of those arenas. Uh, and it doesn't mean avoidance of anything. It's kind of a full embracement of it all. And having a not naive, but very, very optimistic can-do attitude with it all. So let's talk about eat. Now, you're known, you're known as the paleo chef. Now, that's great. But I happen to know that you're not, paleo is not your religion. So talk to us first about eat and break that down for us. Yes. I mean, the irony that the paleo chef wants to punch the word paleo in the face is comical. So the word paleo is a really great template, but I really believe in paleo and identifying what works for your body. So personally, I uh, was diagnosed celiac later on in life, which helped reverse a myriad of health issues. I was also diagnosed completely intolerant to casein uh, as well as soy. Now, there's some people who can tolerate dairy, and by all means, I want that person that can to please do that. There are people who are ultra athletes and need to have some grains in their diet or potatoes in their diets. By all means, do that. So eat clean for me is really about somebody being able to stick to something that's baseline for a period of time and being willing to experiment and listen to their body. Your body is so much smarter than you and identifying what helps them level up. And then beyond that, when you're eating in a very deliberate format, it's very, very empowering. And then that starts to leak into other places of your life. And so let's talk a little bit about how you got here. So you have what I like to call a little bit of a backdoor into paleo. And again, you're referencing that as a template, not as your religion. And we get that. But you have a, you had a personal story that led you into this space to begin with before you were Mary, the paleo chef, that you were actually a tech sales exec, Silicon Valley, the whole nine. Yeah. Yeah. Briefcase, the whole always be closing. <laughs> so I've been uh We'll start with being sick. I've always had a medical problem of some sort beginning in second grade. The most early memory is having migraines at a very, very young age and intense migraines. I'm not talking about locking myself in the room. I'm talking about till the point of being blacked out and somebody having to find me blacked out and vomit and rush me to the hospital and me having to stay there overnight for a migraine that they couldn't pinpoint the source. And then moving into having hormonal issues, issues with my menstrual cycle at a young age, uh, joint pain. So all this is going on in my life. And I was your standard overachiever. So I would do my best to hide a lot of the pain from the people around me. And then I, I didn't go to college. I went straight from high school into corporate America and I did very well, very early. And when you are on a sales team, it's typically a male dominated environment. And so again, you're having to hide a lot of the pain because unfortunately, if you're the only girl on the team and you miss a day or you're sick, they like to ask, you know, oh, did you break up with your boyfriend? Is everything okay? And, and then they were challenging you to keep up with them and challenge accepted. I was a varsity athlete. An athlete's going to accept the challenge and is going to absolutely freaking crush it. So I was doing that in corporate America as well as hiding the fact that I had these awful debilitating migraines. And through going to doctors, because after the migraines came this really weird skin condition where if you touched me with your hand, I would have a hand imprint on my skin inflamed for hours, sometimes days. And it was very weird. I felt like a walking billboard. Sometimes I would write go giants on my arm during baseball season and just be an inflamed billboard. And so I would go to the doctor's office. They would identify me as the elephant in the room. You know, we don't know what's wrong. We're going to go ahead and throw around the word cancer often, which is terrifying. Uh, lupus, uh, it, tons of different things. And it gave me all these medications that never made anything better. It just made everything worse. And they were getting a little more serious with trying to identify 
what was wrong and really pinpointing it to near this potentially could be cancer when I was 24 and I really just had enough. I was in the hospital. They were coming at me with yet another needle of morphine to put me out for a migraine and I just had a tipping point. I snapped. I physically pushed the doctor away from me and said, you know, I need you to tell me what is causing this because I am tired of this. And I started to just do my own research. And in that research, I found a TED Talk by Dr. Terry Walls, which I attest to just saving my life, essentially, uh, where she talked about how she was able to reverse MS by following a particular type of eating. I'm not going to call it a diet. She did something where it was very, very heavy dark greens, removing particular inflammatory foods. And that made sense to me. I felt really stupid because I had done this research in high school and it just didn't think to apply it to my own health issues. So I'm doing this research. I'm starting to remove things from my diet. At the same time, I went ahead and decided to outsource my own lab work. So as that test is being done, I went ahead and just started to remove things from my diet and immediately felt better. So we're talking 20 years of doctors being stumped, all going away because I decided to remove gluten, dairy, and soy from my diet. And it was waking up one day and feeling good, not feeling okay feeling good, feeling amazing, identifying what I'm supposed to feel like. I woke up about a headache for the first time in 20 years and it was very confusing. It felt like a trick. So I I sat up in bed, I shook my head around, like just waiting for that very familiar pain to come back behind my eyes (laughs) and it didn't. And in that day I said, I am like a doctor. I'm a doctor. I called my mom, mom, you have a doctor in the family now. I cured myself. So that's the health story. And and that seeped into the corporate environment. People noticed that I was more alert and, and that, you know, I wasn't having to sit behind my desk with sunglasses on anymore, but things like that. And then I was lucky enough to where somebody started to ask me questions and then, then began the story with Mary the Paleo Chef at that point. So did you even know about the paleo diet, so to speak, before all of this happened? No, I did not at all. When I I was explaining to a couple of friends in San Francisco the way that I was eating uh, now and what I was doing, and they had said, you know, that's a lot like the paleo diet, like the what? And they showed me some some, some person's website, and it, it was a, a tiny little blog, and it looked interesting. It made sense. And then they were going to CrossFit, and I knew CrossFit was kind of a big deal. I'm like, oh, well, they know that's a lot easier to say I'm following a paleo diet rather than saying, oh, I can't eat these things. And that just seemed simple. It was very clear. I didn't expect paleo to be going in the direction it was now, but it was one word versus explaining that whole story every time I go to a restaurant or go to someone's house to eat. Yeah, understood. And you mentioned Dr. Walls. Can you give everybody just the 10 seconds on Dr. Walls? And then I'll link to her story in the show notes. One, I love her sense of humor. Let's just start there. I like her because she's an incredible human being with a dry sense of humor, very well educated. Her story was she had full-blown MS. And I was familiar with MS because I had done hospice and bereavement counseling when I was 16 years old. And one of my favorite patients at the time was a a 45-year-old woman uh, who was a runner and her MS had completely presented itself and completely crippling. So you're basically bedridden or in a wheelchair. You have no function of your arms, of your hands, of anything, just your brain and a heart beating. So Dr. Terry Walls had MS. She was doing her own research on how, what is the source of this? What is, what is the disconnect? 
And she related it all to the mitochondria. And she talked about minding your mitochondria is the name of the TED Talk. And by removing grains and focusing on a, a very dense green diet with protein, she reversed her MS. She went from wheelchair to getting back on the bike and competing, which I thought was incredible. And now she's gone on to talk about this everywhere. She's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing kind of the Dr. Walls 101 with everybody. And as I said, I'll make sure they can learn more if they want to head over to onairwithella.com. So that's quite a story. I think it's so interesting to share people's evolution. And I want to move now from eat to play. Something, by the way, that many of us who are hard charging and achievement oriented, we forget all about. So it's funny you say we forget all about it. So I'll ask you this question. At what age did you stop asking your friends if they could play? Exactly. And I totally stopped, by the way. I can't even pretend that I, this is something that I'm good at. <laughs> I remember having a very deliberate conversation in fourth grade with my friend Janelle. At the time, um, I had rollerblades and she didn't. So I had given her one of my rollerblades and we would just single foot rollerblade <laughs> around the neighborhood. And I remember hearing one of the cooler boys in school talk about hanging out. And I'm like, oh my gosh, hang out. Oh my gosh, that's so adult. So I single rollerbladed to her house and I'm like, Janelle, are we too old to say play? <laughs> and she, she was at the counter and she looked at me putting on her, her rollerblade going, oh my gosh, I, I think we are. What, I'm like, well, what do we say now? She goes, I think we should just hang out. And just the concept of saying hang out took us from wanting to rollerblade and wanting to do gymnastics and wanting to build things to wanting to hang out at the mall and be cool. And I feel like just even using that word hang out and abolishing play, we literally took play out of our life. So I want to go back to that. So play to me, yes, it's obviously get your butt in the gym or go outside or have some sort of movement, but also play. I play tennis a lot. That is my form of play. I will go do something artistic. I'll sometimes just go have a great day at the beach. I just want to play again because all that makes everything else I'm doing much more profound and happy. I was literally just having this conversation over the weekend with my husband and I said, oh my gosh, I don't, first of all, I've been working a little, the schedule's been a little nuts. And, and I said, yeah, I just haven't played in so long. Now my version of play is totally lame and I'm here to out myself to you, Mary. <laughs> a couple of years ago, I got a group of friends out to hang out and I said, you know, let's play freeze tag. And they're like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, do you know how awesome it'd be for a bunch of adults to be just standing in place on the beach? <laughs> everyone's like what what is this living statues no we're playing freeze tag you want in I know you do <laughs> I love the mindset because it's such a kind of slap in the face you don't realize that you're slipping do you like you don't realize that this is reducing in your life this spirit of play and that sort of thing I think just using the word helps create a mindset that we've lost Play could literally be carving out time to catch up with your friend over drinks. That can be play too. It doesn't just have to be a physical activity. It could be being able to bond over drinks and have a great time with I mean, anything, anything that brings you alive and makes you giggle. A lot of people just went, oh, in that case, I play all the time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's talk about crush. Yes, crush, crushing life. So I think as an athlete, I say, you know, I crush that or totally crush this game, but crushing life is as a result of everything else in your life being aligned with your truest intentions. So enjoying what you're doing. There's people think crushing something is totally dominating. So if I'm crushing my business, I'm, I'm making eight figures a year. 
And I don't think that that's actually the right definition. If you're crushing your business, you are enjoying it and you're enjoying it every day and you're inspired by it. So crushing life is really being so inspired by your life that you're giddy about it. You're giddy about yourself. And that could take a very personal form for each person. Well, something that I've noticed in your writing, Mary, and some of the things that you share is that it implies or induces, or maybe both, um, a level of confidence. You're not afraid to celebrate your successes, and you're not afraid to say, you know what, I'm pretty good at this. Nope, <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I think some people are, and I, th- I think some people struggle with that, and they confuse assuredness with arrogance, and you strike just a beautiful balance, and your eat, play, crush is a manifestation of that, and I love that you're just like, look, I'm good at what I do, I'm kind of a badass chick, and you probably want to know me, and I think, Mary, that has a lot to do with why so many people gravitate toward what you do. I, you can tell me. Sometimes I wonder why anybody follows what I'm doing, <laughs> to be honest. So, yes, I think I'm a badass, but I'm a badass for myself. I try to impress myself. And if people happen to enjoy that and follow that, that's awesome. But uh, I'm not doing it for the double taps. I'm doing it because I'm I'm wanting to constantly impress myself and show myself I can do something else and prove to myself that in the face of pain or the face of the chaos that is this world, I can still choose to be wonderful. And, and I think that's where the balance comes from that you mentioned between uh, being deliberate in my success and celebrating it and not feeling like I'm being arrogant. Exactly. So let's talk brass tacks. You have this killer five-day guide that people can download from your website, which I, I hope people don't get tired of me saying this, but of course I'll link to it at onairwithella.com. And you share five phases and they're like five phases to power and self-mastery. Can we touch on those just enough to give people a sense for what you're talking about and why? Yeah. So, uh, the reason why I wrote that ebook is a lot of my readers were asking me to, uh, can you sum up eat, play, crush or how do you eat, play, crush? And, uh, and I, I wanted to make it very, very, very simple because when it comes to the concept of self-help in books, I don't think we need more. We actually need less, and we need the very simple version to keep ourselves accountable. And there are these five phases to power, and I, I am unapologetically obsessed with the concept of power, but I believe in power over yourself and self-mastery. I always want to be in a balance of peace and power, and I think that peace and power can coexist within compassion, and it, and it really starts with compassion for yourself. Now, how do you get there? So when I think about the work that I've done, not just with my clients as Mary the Paleo Chef, but the work that I've done my entire life through counseling and mentorship in corporate America, is when someone is facing something, um, whether it's something like how to close a deal or something a little more profound like like loss, for example, I always want to get them to a place first of where they start feeling balanced, like they've got two feet on the ground. And once they feel balanced, I want to move them into a place of intention. And what intention to me is, it's the idea of having focus and optimism at the same time, which I think you really like my quote about assuming an outcome will be brilliant. And that's where that comes from. Oh my gosh, you got to share that whole quote in full because I actually go around when people interview me, I share your quote all the time. And now I want you live on air with Ella to share that quote with the world. Please. <laughs> okay. So I always say, if you're going to make an assumption about the outcome of your risk, assume it'll be brilliant. I think a lot of people are, one, afraid to take risks because they're already thinking about the negative outcome, which that doesn't do you any good. 
Who goes into the World Series thinking they're going to lose? You go into the World Series thinking you're going to crush it. Go Giants. There's my plug for baseball. And the concept of failure is foreign to me. I don't believe in failure. I believe in pivot. So if something doesn't work out, pivot and move in another direction. So I really believe that if you're going to make an assumption about the outcome of your risk, go ahead and assume it'll be brilliant. So that's where intention comes from, which is the the second phase is you go from feeling balanced to having intention, being really optimistic about the outcome of, of your intention. And once you've got that mindset down, you move into the next step, which is manifestation. I don't generally believe that you sit there and things just come to you. You've got to have movement in some direction. So once you've got those three things down, you're moving around. You're out there trying to achieve whatever it is you set out to achieve. Then you get to this place of freedom, and freedom is a double-edged sword. Freedom, freedom to choose to continue to do the right things or the freedom to F it up and go backwards, and that's where people mess up. They get to the point where they start to see progress, and then for some reason they retreat, which I totally don't understand. So then once you're in a place of freedom and you're consistently moving in the right direction, now you've come to this place of power, power over yourself. You've taken that freedom and the responsibility that comes with that freedom and you've chosen to put both your feet on the ground and be in a place of power. And when you're there, you see nothing but positive outcomes. You see nothing but being able to give yourself compassion and give yourself credit. You see nothing but being able to help the people around you. It's a really cool place to be. And that's where I take people to. And I think it's the most simple way for me to describe the over-encompassing eat, play, crush, the ability to turn into things that are not necessarily great or positive and turn them into something more productive. So that's, that's what's in the ebook is the, the mindset around that and how to get there. And so the way I use it with my clients is whether we're working together for years or if it's one or two calls, you can very quickly go through that phase. So say you're facing something difficult tomorrow, you could go through the five phases very quickly in your head and recalibrate, or you can use it over the period of weeks or months if you want to do some pretty big profound change. And then at the end of that cycle, I, I have everybody um, go through the, the practice of writing very personal vows to themselves that they carry around. So all of my clients and many of my readers, if you look in their wallet, they have vows that they've written to themselves that are very personal to them. Because I think it's comical that we write vows to our partners before we've ever written vows to ourselves. It's again, that whole concept of, you know, the most powerful thing you can do is love yourself. And what does that mean? And what does that look like on paper? Well, if you don't mind, I want to get a little bit specific about some of these concepts because you talked about somewhere between intention and manifestation, there's action. So a lot of people have intent and they don't have manifestation. How do you help people bridge that gap? I don't know that I necessarily have an answer for that. I think people come to me because they get stuck there and they want someone to kick them them in the butt. And I will happily kick somebody in the butt to get them in the action. I, I, if, I make an, if I make an assumption, I think it's fear-based. I don't know if it's fear of the unknown. I don't know if it's fear of failure. I don't know if it's complacency. I don't know if there's this weird sense of privilege where you think it's just going to come to you. I think that's very personal for each person. Um, and the answer is usually staring them in the face. I, I, I don't think it's surprising that people that have a keen sense of mortality, whether or not they lost someone or, or almost lost their own lives, tend to bridge that gap quicker. So I think it's just an awareness of you'll, you only get one life. Or I think I posted last night uh, a quote, and I'm going to mess up who the quote's by. But if you go to my Instagram, you'll see who it's credited to. But we all have two lives 
And the second one begins when we realize we only have one. And if that's not enough to get someone to act on what it is they want, I have, I don't necessarily know what to say unless they want me to kick them in the butt. You work with a lot of high performing athletes. You work with celebrities. Everyone finds that so sexy. And you work with um, authors who have achieved a lot of success. You work with a lot of really, you know, hard charging people. What if we're just talking to people who want to crush their own life, but they're not going to do it on a national or a global scale. And they're saying, that's all great, but I'm busy. I have three kids. I have a full-time job and you want me to go play tag and make all of my own food. Like, how do you inspire that person to realize that being extraordinary is their choice, just like it's anyone else's? What message do you lead with? My clients are cut in the middle. I have my celebrity clients and that's all fine and dandy. And that's great. People think it's sexy. It's a lot of work. It's more work than, than, than my other clients. And then I have my clients that are corporate America women, uh, fathers, bachelors, and they're, they're everyday people. And I like working with everyday people because they create change and influences in places that I can't even see or touch. And it really is just about aligning their action with their intention. How do you want to feel? And when we start there, we start aligning the actions to, to, to go up against that. And it's just like, if you're going to make your job as an excuse, I really feel like people are losing sight of what actually matters in the world. Success is not about achieving something. Success is about not taking anything for granted. Again, that's a very personal conversation among people. And I always bring it back to, you know, are you happy with where you are in life? Are you happy with your relationships? Um, Are you, if you do have kids, look at your children's faces. Are they happy? If you can't make your own meals, I think that is such a cop-out because you can literally open up a can of tuna and have some smart decisions there versus ordering a pizza. I, I just, I'm at a point where I'm sick of hearing people cop-out. If you want to cop-out, cop-out really far away from me, <laughs> like way over there. <laughs> You've mentioned a couple of times that people tend to operate on fast forward or they just get it faster if they've been faced with mortality in some way, their own, um, a loved one, you know, some kind of threat or experience. Did you have that experience, Mary? Why is this? How do you have this insight? Um, so I'm, I'm Coptic Orthodox, uh, which is Egyptian Christian. And uh, if you know what's going on in the Middle East or in Egypt with the revolution, there's quite a contrast between, you know, the freedoms I have here um, and the freedoms that aren't necessarily provided there. So that's the foundation of, of who I am. Maybe, I don't know if it's genetic, but this is why I operate the way I operate. I uh, did hospice and bereavement counseling as a teenager. I was working with the dying and working with their families after that they have passed away. And you see what actually matters on your deathbed. It's not, did I get my macros in? It's not, did I make six figures that, that year? It's usually the relationships that I built. Did I say, I love you? Why did I care what anybody thought about me? Did I, did I live the life I wanted? I wanted to be an artist. Did I become an artist? So when you were doing that as a teenager, you're like, Oh, I get it. I get it. I don't need to aspire to be famous and rich. I need to aspire to be happy and true to myself. I unfortunately have lost many people near and dear to me at very early ages. One dying in a car accident that I was supposed to be in the car with her. There's been cancer diagnosis in my family. My aunt died of Lou Gehrig's disease, which got me into bereavement counseling. So yeah, I do have a keen sense of mortality. And I just, I feel an obligation to be happy and enjoy life 
while I'm here because of that. And this is actually, I'm, I mean, I don't normally talk about this stuff on interviews because I don't like to, to lead with the, that heaviness. But I do think sometimes it's important to bring up because people will make the assumption with social media that people have great, perfect lives and everything is given the t- to them on a silver platter. All the stuff I mentioned, half that stuff is still going on in my life. But I'm still making a choice to be optimistic and making a choice to pursue three different businesses um, in the face of all of that. And still, you know, I say, you know, the greatest thing about waking up is waking up. That's a blessing in itself. I appreciate you sharing that with us. And thanks for letting me ask, because I think exactly what you just said, which is when you get the social media highlight reel, you don't understand the depth behind someone's story. And when you say 10 minutes ago, you know, see nothing but positive outcomes, some people will be like, that's great for a beautiful young woman who doesn't have kids yet and doesn't have half these things I'm struggling with, whatever they, whatever, however they decide to categorize um, someone that they don't know. Right? right. And, and then, and then you say, you say, no, 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 no. That's a choice that I make every single day. Being, being optimistic is hard work. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's not my natural inclination. <laughs> so I appreciate that myself. Okay. I have a random question for you, completely related to nothing. And it will sound ridiculously trivial after that conversation. And my question is this, do you struggle with food binges or cravings at all. And let me tell you why I'm asking. You make the most amazing food. I mean, we're not going to talk a huge amount about food today, but your recipes are just the bomb. And I'll share your fudge recipe. Can I share your fat fudge recipe with everybody? Yeah, definitely. I definitely want that shared because I'm actually turning it into um, a a goo packet. So I want them to get that that recipe in their hands because one, it's incredible. Two, it's delicious. And three, it's this new idea of, oh, something that's good for me can taste this incredible. I mean, I just made some uh, literally within the past 24 hours and I have have an ice ice cube tray it's actually a baby food tray so I guess the difference is that it comes with a lid but I have um an ice cube tray in the freezer filled with Mary's fat fudge Mary thanks for letting me share that with everybody which I will do tell them what a goo packet is because some people won't know what's a goo packet oh yeah so goo pack yeah goo packets or gel packets are are performance fuel so as an athlete if you're out um on the corridor on a trail you need to make sure that you have a, a certain amount of sodium electrolytes uh and calories as you're going hard in the paint, if you will. And uh, goo packets traditionally have a lot of really crappy ingredients and weird things in them. So fat fudge was my performance fuel in the morning, which has a combination of particular spices for anti-inflammatory reasons, for focus, for memory. There's calories and protein in there, and it's disguised as this little fudge cube. And um, I started taking that with me on the go because with my food intolerances, sometimes I can't get food at places that I'm at. Uh, And then I started to see my readers take it on marathon runs and on bike rides and traveling on airplanes. And they were putting in little plastic baggies, which is then now as a result of my readers giving me feedback is going to turn into individual packets instead of goo packets that again, like I mentioned, has a lot of really weird crappy ingredients. This will be a real food goo packet that you can start your morning with. You can take it with you on the go. You can blend it into a tea or coffee if you want to enjoy it that way. But it's just real food to you in a small, accessible way um, that you will feel awesome afterwards. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool stuff. That's cool. As a triathlete, I'm excited. That will be coming on my bike with me. 
I'll send you some packets. All right. Very cool. Done. Consider that a mutual win-win. Okay. Talk to me. I, I'm an overeater. Like I, if I like something, then my brain goes, you need to have at least 10 times more than that. And so switching to a clean diet was critical for me, or I think I'd be like 350 pounds and switching to a clean diet means I can get away with a lot more, but that's not the point. The point is the mind game and the, the mental stuff that's going on when that happens. And so my question for you is, was that ever your struggle, Mary? And, and you're making all this amazing stuff how do you not eat how do you not eat everything that you make all the time all day long every hour <laughs> well I I do eat everything that I make and I I mean I eat a I eat a lot of calories a lot of clean calories so I think my body uses it very efficiently I it's really simple I eat when I'm hungry and I don't when I'm not um near my menstrual cycle, I do quote unquote binge where I'll eat a whole tray of fat fudge or I'll go buy Jackson's Honest Chips and make myself a cashew dip and eat the whole thing. No shame. Uh, I don't beat myself up over the days that I do eat a little more than I normally do because I'm still making smart choices. I don't know. I think if you, I mean, again, because I don't think I have the problem of binge eating, I just think that if you don't beat yourself up over the the few days you do that, it's there's I don't know there's not a lot of guilt with it. Cuz I mean, that I don't know if you saw that lasagna that I posted, that that vegetarian lasagna. Um, I ate the whole thing within a couple hours. I, I ate half and then I was like, "Oh, I'm going to save the other half for later." And then I went right back to the fridge, got it and sat in bed and ate it. And I didn't care. <laughs> like, I feel like doing this today. <laughs> I think that you just hit the nail on the head. So it's not binge eating if you don't put your mind in a place where you're telling it that you're binge eating. You're just eating. That's what it's, That's what I just heard you say. I'm just, I was still hungry. I, my brain still wanted it. My body still wanted it. Now I'm not doing that every, let's be clear, I'm not doing that every single day. But when I do it, who cares? Again, when you're on your deathbed, that's not what you're going to be thinking about. I don't know. I might be thinking about that fudge when I'm on my deathbed. That That's a real possibility. That could happen. <laughs> Just one more. <laughs> <laughs> that might actually happen. Okay, Mary, before I let you go, I need to ask you two questions. The first question is, what is one habit you would encourage our listeners to try on for one week? I don't think gratitude ever goes out of style. So practicing gratitude in the morning, I like to tell everyone, you know, think about what you, what you want to be, who you want to be, and create a morning routine that's in line with those intentions. And if you master that morning every day, you'll probably end up mastering the rest of your life. And for me, it starts with practicing gratitude in the morning. Outstanding. And if anyone needs a little bit more fuel on that fire, you can listen to the episode we did with Hal Elrod. Um, question number two, what is one resource you'd like to share with everyone? Um, I really like following uh, Gary Vaynerchuk's work. I don't know if you heard of him. Sure. I like I like listening to his Ask Gary V show because whether or not you're into the the topic that he's talking about, which is generally business, he is just so fired up on life. It's contagious and he's funny and he's super authentic. I think if you were to actually if you were to combine Gary Vaynerchuk with uh, Tim Ferriss's book Four Hour Chef and any of his work along with Mark Sisson stuff, you've just like recalibrated your entire life. You'll get a little business, a little inspiration, a little tactile applicable things, and a little diet. 
Is that too many? You said one. I suck at questions. <laughs> I'm I'm including all three. And the reason I'm including all three is because I just I just am in violent agreement with you. So I'm gonna share Gary V. I'm gonna share Tim Ferriss's four hour chef. And then and then Mark Sisson, who actually I need to get Mark on the show, which I will do. I will I will make that my own intention um, and share his message with everybody. But in the interim, I'll give everyone links over to their stuff. So that's awesome. Thanks, Mary. Yeah, they're they're all. I mean, on an individual level, they're all. I mean, and I never promote anything where I don't know what's going on on the back end. All three of those people are just outstanding people outside of their work as well, which is huge to say. Just like I love Terry, Dr. Terry Walls, an amazing human being outside of their work as well. Well, Mary, I have thoroughly enjoyed chatting with you, but what I'm super pumped about is just uh, sharing your message with people and directing them over to you. Like if I, if I can do one service to everybody and create any value for this half hour, it's that some people that may not have visited you before will go over and check out your stuff because I feel like if I expose somebody to what you're doing, I have actually added value. So I thank you for that. Thank you. That's very humbling to hear. Thank you. Until next time, thanks a million. Okay, everyone, I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, just go to onairwithella.com where I put up links to all of the good stuff that we talked about today and more information about our guests and all the good stuff that you did not need to write down today because I got you covered. Don't forget to join our Facebook page and thanks for those phenomenal reviews in iTunes. Every great review helps and we read every one. Thanks for listening and thanks for inspiring me. You are quite simply awesome.